calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Warning Woods presents The 2023 Halloween Special This episode is only one part of a five-part series. Be sure to listen to each episode in order. This story will reach its dramatic conclusion at midnight on October 31st, Halloween. But if you don't want to wait, it's available in paperback and ebook from Amazon.com. So without further ado, let's travel to Prouty, Indiana. This is The Owl. On October 15, 2020, I alerted the Prouty, Indiana Police Department to the discovery of a human skeleton in the woods. The remains I found were encased in some sort of organic matter shaped like a cocoon. Prouty PD, the St. Joseph County Police Department, and the Indiana DNR have all witnessed and handled the object, which contained those yet unidentified human remains. The encasing object is either still in the possession of one of these agencies, or it has been destroyed. On October 21st, less than a week after the first body was discovered, a second, similar object containing another human skeleton was discovered less than a mile north of the first. Both recovered bodies have yet to be publicly identified. The first body belonged to an adult female. At this time, no details concerning the sex of the second body have been released. However, two residents of Prouty have been reported missing since October 21st, and both are male. Andy stopped typing. If this story was going to be his shot to journalistic stardom, it needed more flavor, more pizzazz. He was still writing like a beat reporter in the city, filling the columns with just enough words regardless of substance. He needed an angle to draw people into the situation, make them feel the fear he was feeling. He needed to show the world how serious the ongoing cover-up really was. Maybe he was too distracted. It was Saturday night, hours after he had left the library, and all he could think about was the missing man who hadn't turned up yet. 
He pictured that imploding woman he saw the night before, the one who filed the missing person report for her husband. And he had to assume her husband was the second missing person Rose had mentioned. The question was, when was a big, fuzzy pellet going to turn up with his skeleton inside? Andy started running numbers to try to determine the length of time between a person's disappearance and their body turning up. With the first, the one which he had found, or had found him more like, it was impossible to tell without knowing if or when the woman inside had been reported missing. But that morning, when Officer Jennings had been talking to him, she had said there weren't any missing person reports in Prouty. So that meant the man who had been discovered second went missing sometime after the morning of the 15th. He was found early on the 21st, and according to Rose, his brother said he had been gone for a couple of days. That put his attack somewhere on or around the 18th. So it seemed whatever was stalking the town was taking someone every three days or so. And that meant another victim was due. And he couldn't help himself. He did a quick Google search of how long does it take owls to digest their food? The result, typically less than 24 hours. Yeah, Andy thought, except owls eat mice and chipmunks. It probably takes a bit longer to break down a person. Andy had begun to mentally refer to the monster hunting Prouty's residence as the owl. Ever since Rick had compared the body encasements to owl pellets, Andy had an image in his head of an enormous owl with a beak large enough to swallow a human whole. He knew this idea was ridiculous. How could an owl ever grow so large? Yet the image stuck with him. And after his conversation with Rose, after her revelation that someone had spotted a giant winged creature flying above the woods surrounding Prouty, his conception of the owl became unshakable. Sunday afternoon, feeling lost and nameless, Andy decided to go for his first walk in the woods since nearly being flattened by the pellet. The woods continued to be painted over with the fiery strokes of autumn. A few leaves fell around him here and there as Andy walked. Their sweet, natural aroma wafted up to him as he crushed them under his feet. He passed the place where it all started. The police, in concert with nature, had done an excellent job of hiding the signs that anything abnormal had occurred there. Andy wondered if he were to walk north if the second person's body location would be equally missable. Probably. Thinking of the distraught woman who had reported her husband missing Friday night, Andy turned south and started that way. One of the thicker branches above him groaned arduously, like an aged door on uneven hinges. Andy stopped cold. This groan was not one of the occasional sighs caused by the foreshadowing October wind. This groan was a protest against some great weight. Before looking, Andy ducked behind a thick tree. He knew if something was lurking above, it had most likely spotted him already, but he hoped putting something between him and the hunter would deter it from making him lunch. From cover, Andy scanned the branches above. The burning leaves were still thick enough to hide large portions of the woven branches, but not large enough to hide anything big enough to swallow people whole. Movement in the corner of his eye. A violent shaking of leaves, as if a whole tree had been turned into a maraca. A subsonic whoomp, accompanied by a downward wind, which sent a hurricane of leaves showering down. Andy looked up frantically and hugged his tree guardian. He was unquestionably in the presence of the monster. The owl 
and undoubtedly in its mortal sights. Leaves and branches crashed in a mad cacophony directly over Andy's unprotected head. He ran. Sharp snaps and the evil groaning of dry boughs followed him ever so closely. Violent swishes of leaves whispered doom. Andy stayed close to the thickest trunks he passed, careful not to give the chasing beast an opportunity to swoop down and grab him. He risked one look over his shoulder and nearly tripped for this brief glance. After that, he kept his eyes forward. The farther Andy ran, the more aggressive the pursuing noises above him became. Branches started breaking off under the monster's forceful leaping. They thumped to the ground in Andy's wake. The thing above never growled or roared or cawed or made any vocal sound at all. Later, Andy would wonder why and decide it was because it had no reason to. Andy posed no threat. It didn't need to assert dominance. It knew it had him. And it most certainly would have had him if not for the drainage outlet Andy stumbled upon, miraculously. A wide, concrete pipe led down from the storm drain atop the slope, through the hill, and opened at the base of the slope. There was maybe one of these outlets per mile of road in Prouty. Andy thanked whatever power controlled his destiny that he had happened to be near one. He dove forward and prayed there wouldn't be a metal grate a few feet in, as there sometimes was to keep critters from nesting inside. If the pipe had a grate, it was game over for Andy and bon appetit for the owl. But there was no grate, just hundreds of feet of semi-vertical darkness. As Andy shimmied into the pipe, something landed heavily a few yards behind him. His feet were exposed. With hysterical ferocity, Andy wormed his way deeper inside. The pipe was only just wide enough for him to move his shoulders a few inches to either side. He realized if the owl had any sort of reach, if its talons could extend even a little, they would drag him out like hooks to meet his terrible fate. The 45-degree grade of the slimy pipe didn't help. He was fighting gravity as well as limited space. No sooner were his feet inside the pipe than the dry leaves just outside crackled. Andy went still. He dared not move. He guessed the monster had seen him go into the pipe, but he didn't know for certain. He didn't want to give away his hiding spot even if it would buy him a few extra inches of safety. He held himself in place with his hands, feet, and knees pressed firmly into the moist walls of the concrete tube. The owl stayed quiet, but Andy knew it was still there. If only he could see out of the pipe. His own body blocked everything but the slightest sliver of the drain's opening below him. The leaves outside shuffled. A truncated version of that subsonic sound from earlier echoed up the pipe. Andy pictured the creature beating its gigantic wings in frustration. Then he heard it sucking in air, a hollow, tubular sound. It wasn't breathing, it was sniffing, smelling the air for traces of its lost prey. Perhaps it had not seen him enter the pipe after all. Maybe vision was not its strong suit. Or maybe it just can't see well during the day, Andy thought, like an owl. One of its clawed feet stepped closer, and Andy, feeling he was seconds from being discovered, shimmied further into the pipe. An echoing clack made him stop and look down again. One of the creature's feet was inside the pipe. Its three great toes were splayed outward and feeling for him. Talons like scythes curved out of the ends of the toes and scratched at the concrete. One of them even left a groove, making Andy terribly aware of its brutal strength. 
The toes reached in further. The talons clawed the air inches from the soles of Andy's shoes. He pressed hard against the mossy slime underneath him, all too aware of how easily he could accidentally slip on it. He didn't have a single inch to spare. Finally, the claws retreated, and the owl's tubular sniffing recommenced. It grew louder as the creature's face neared the outlet. How hard would it try to get him? How long would it spend trying to pull or lure or break him out? These were the questions Andy rapidly pondered while growing increasingly aware of how tired his limbs were becoming and how slick the slimy surface under his sweaty palms was. To keep climbing up was to risk sliding all the way down. One tiny mistake would deliver him to the ripping claws below. All he could do was keep holding himself exactly where he was. Fortunately, the monster's patience ran out quickly, or perhaps it feared being spotted if it remained exposed for too long. Andy never got to see more than its foot before it beat its wings and exploded upward through the trees. Andy held himself in place for another minute, wondering all along whether the owl might be trying to fool him into false safety. But then his hands gave out. Unable to hold himself up any longer, he slid down to the open end of the drain. Once out of the pipe, Andy quickly distanced himself from the outlet while moving as quietly as possible. If the owl did return, he wanted to be as far from his last known location as humanly possible. As soon as he found a shallow enough grade, he ran and climbed up the slope, finding himself in a stranger's backyard. From there, Andy ran to the road and called 911. But there was no answer. Andy hadn't called 911 many times in his life, but whenever he had, he had never heard a dial tone on the other end. The ominous beeping filled his head, somehow sounding louder as he dropped the phone away from his ear in disbelief. He looked up and down the street. He listened for sirens, but all seemed perfectly still, quiet and peaceful. The tranquility made the dial tone even eerier. As Andy stood there, covered in dirt, sweat, and muck, there was no evidence anyone else was left on the planet. As he walked back to his house, this time on the road, Andy silently reasoned with himself. Prouty was a small town with a strong religious community. Even those who didn't necessarily worship still attended church often as a social activity. Most services were held Sunday morning, but many churches hosted afternoon activities too. Maybe everyone was gathered together somewhere in the middle of town. But there was one person who Andy could not account for through speculation, and that was Ian, the weekend dispatcher. He should have been at his desk at the police department, playing solitaire or whatever he and Rose did in the lengthy spaces between calls. Andy tried the emergency number again, and this time the call was answered. 911, is this an emergency? Ian's snotty voice asked. Anger replaced Andy's fear. Well, it was, but I guess not so much anymore. Okay, sir, while this number is reserved for emergencies only, Andy realized he had misinterpreted Ian's tone. He wasn't copying an attitude, he was anxious. Incredibly so. Ian, stop, Andy said into the phone. This is Andrew Laxton. I'm calling because I just got attacked by the thing that's been taking people. It's very real, and I don't know what the hell it is. Andy heard a jumble of noises on the other end, then distantly heard Ian say, Chief, we have a sighting. Ian, speaking into the phone again, asked, Mr. Laxon, do you know where the creature is now? Wait, are you actually taking me seriously? 
Andy had expected to have to fight to be believed. Before Ian could answer, a gruff voice took his place. Mr. Laxton, I don't know how you keep ending up at the center of this, but it's gotten deadly serious and I need your full cooperation. Where was the creature when you saw it? Down in the woods, about a mile from my house, Chief. But what's going on? Why did I get a busy signal when I called the first time? A long pause made Andy's dirty palms sweat again. Chief Gilbert cleared his throat. I'm going to have Jennings pick you up and bring you somewhere safe. Give me a good address for her to find you, he said. Andy read off the nearest house number, and the chief told him to sit tight before hanging up. Andy's head started swimming. He felt high. Too much had happened that didn't fit into the ordinary patterns. He'd had a nearly deadly encounter with a murderous creature, everyone was taking his word at face value, and now a police officer was being sent directly to him to bring him to safety by the police chief, who probably would have been perfectly happy if he had been swallowed whole. It was too much. Moving too fast. And now he was just supposed to sit and wait, with only a row of empty houses between himself and the woods which hid the monster that had tried to devour him. Officer Crystal Jennings pulled around the corner three minutes after the chief radioed Andy's location to her. She stopped in front of Andy with her window rolled down and ordered him to get in. The passenger seat was cramped by Jennings's mounted computer, but Andy was glad to sit there. He was just happy she didn't make him get in the back. Being locked inside a cage was not something he would have tolerated well in his mental state. Before you say a damn word, I need you to promise me you're not making this up. You're not seeking attention, you're not drumming up interest for your story, nothing like that, are you? Of course not, Andy said distantly. Laxton, I'm serious. Andy didn't respond. He just looked at her, and the way he looked told her everything she needed. She didn't start driving right away. Instead, she pointed through her windshield, waving her roving finger back and forth. Where exactly did you see this thing? Down in the woods, Andy said. It came down on me from the trees and chased me for a while, then... Then I escaped. Did you get any photos of it? Video? No, nothing. I barely saw it with my own eyes. It's big, but it's fast and it knows how to hide. It's a skilled predator. Andy accidentally let a tint of admiration color his voice. Uh-huh. So, how are you still here? Jennings asked. Her voice was ice cold, void of her usual sarcasm. I climbed up a storm drain where it couldn't reach me but it's claws. How long ago was this? Did you see where it went? Andy shook his head. No, I stayed in the pipe for a while to be safe. It must have left me, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes ago. Without warning, Jennings flipped on the emergency lights and hit the gas. The car lurched and Andy was pinned to his seat as the cruiser sped down the street and around the corner. Grabbing her radio, Jennings shouted, This is Jennings. Laxton's sighting occurred a maximum of 30 minutes ago. 10-4, came the chief's voice through the radio. I'm calling back up from St. Joseph to help search. We might still have time. Time for what? Andy asked. Jennings sniffed and pursed her lips, keeping her eyes trained ahead. What's he talking about? Andy asked with slightly more force. His stomach lurched as the car almost tipped onto two wheels as Jennings zoomed around a corner. Without taking her eyes off the road, she said, A kid's missing. Andy swore and punched himself in the leg. Unperturbed by this outburst, Jennings explained, Crosstower Baptist held their annual harvest festival this afternoon. Half the town came out for it because people around here aren't that worried about the virus. A family brought their dog and let a group of kids take him for a walk. Next thing anyone knew, all but one of the kids were running back and screaming about a monster. We still can't find the missing kid. He's a seven-year-old boy named Josh. 
The thought hit Andy immediately. It gave up on me and went after a kid. The weight of guilt pressed on his chest. He asked, What about the dog? Any chance it ran off and the kid chased it? Maybe he just got lost in the woods. Jennings tried to speak, but a strangled cough came out instead. She managed to say, We found the dog. But that was all. Andy assumed the poor animal wouldn't be going for any more walks. We shouldn't be driving into town, Andy said, holding back tears. He was hopelessly trying to suppress any thoughts about a child in the clutches of that terrible monster. It's taken its victims to the woods every time, right? I think it goes up in the trees after it feeds. We're hoping it hasn't fed yet, Jennings replied, choking on the word fed. Andy had a feeling this hope was dearly misplaced. What about the other man, the husband who went missing the other night? Andy asked. Still no sign of him, Jennings answered. We might have an ID on the woman you found, though. Yeah? She's some influencer from South Bend. She was supposed to be home Friday night, and her husband reported her missing yesterday. We're still waiting on a hard ID, but in her videos, she's wearing the jewelry we found. I should have published something, Andy said under his breath. Don't do that to yourself, Jennings warned. Myself? I probably would have done it if you hadn't given me all that crap about protecting people. And now look where we're at. A damn kid's missing and he probably got taken because I escaped from that thing. If I'd published something warning people what's out there, that kid never would have been out in the first place. What were you doing in the woods anyway? Jennings asked, deflecting the guilt aimed at her. Don't you know better? Shamefully, Andy admitted. I thought I'd be safe in the daylight. We thought everyone would be. Jennings replied. They arrived at the church and were instantly surrounded by a horde of puffy, wet faces. Jennings had to push people back with her door as she opened it. She remained stone cold against the torrential wave of emotions pouring from the crowd. Any sign of him? Jennings asked the chief after wading through the swarm. He was dressed in a white shirt and khakis, his Sunday best. Andy guessed he had probably been in attendance at the potluck before the kid went missing. He must have gone straight to the station after it happened. Coward. As if reading his thoughts, Chief Gilbert gave Andy a suspicious look. Suddenly, Andy realized Rose was standing beside the chief, with her hands folded in front of herself, twisting around one another anxiously. Nothing's changed since you left. Everyone but his parents seems to assume the worst at this point, Chief Gilbert said. Andy got out and walked around the car after the swarm dissipated. He walked up next to Jennings, facing the chief. Some people had stayed close, trying to listen in on their conversation, but most had dispersed to search for the missing child. Andy gestured at the lingerers and whispered to the chief, You said they assume the worst, but do they even know what the worst is? The chief admonished him with a glare. Jennings stayed tactfully quiet. Rose looked like she might burst into sobs. I just got attacked by that thing. It probably came here right after I escaped. It's... It's not like anything I've ever seen before. It's big, it's fast, and it's quiet. You saw it? Rose asked, eyes and mouth agape. Just what exactly did you see? Chief Gilbert asked incredulously. Jennings looked at Andy. Something in her eyes begged him to lie about how much he had seen. He sensed the tension between her and her boss, him wanting to continue the cover-up, and her finally wanting to tell people the truth. She wanted Andy to say he had seen it, even though she already knew he hadn't really gotten a good look. But he had seen its foot, its talons. Yeah, yeah, I saw it, 
This thing is real, Chief, and it's here. It's time to tell everyone what's out there. Andy's got a point, Chief. Jennings finally spoke. She rushed her words as if they wouldn't all make it out of her if she didn't hurry. It's probably not a good idea to have all those people out there in the woods searching. Hey, somebody yelled from across the lawn. What do we pay your salaries for? There's a kid missing. Stop standing around. Andy saw two St. Joseph County cruisers coming up the road flashing their lights. It was now or never. Jennings had left the door of her car open. During the drive, Andy had inspected her onboard radio just in case he had to do exactly what he was about to do. He moved past Jennings, dove into her car, and grabbed the handheld mic from their center console. He switched the radio mode to broadcast and commenced his speech. Everybody, get out of the woods, he said. His voice echoed across the lawn from the speaker atop the police car. There's something out there. It attacked me just a little while ago. The chief yanked Andy out of the car while Rose and Jennings looked on helplessly. The small crowd of eavesdroppers dispersed, suddenly not wanting to be near whatever was going on. Andy broke free from the chief's pathetic grip and started running toward the trees. As he ran, he yelled, See? They don't want you to know. They've already found two bodies in the woods. I saw one myself. They might be hiding more. The chief chased him, but only for a few seconds. The fat old man had not a chance of catching the spry journalist who started every morning with a hike. Jennings undoubtedly could have caught Andy, but she didn't want to. She didn't think many people would believe the shouting man running from the police, but when the truth inevitably came out, she didn't want to be remembered as the officer who shut up the one person trying to tell the truth. Arrest him, the chief ordered. What should I charge him with? Jennings asked, cocking her head and raising her eyebrows. I don't care. Interference. I'll bring him in later, Jennings said, trying to hide her quivering jaw. She had never disobeyed the chief before. There's a kid missing right now. Andy slowed down once he reached the tree line and realized he wasn't being followed. A few people had turned to listen to him, but the loudest voices were yelling at him to shut up and help search. He's telling the truth, a familiar voice said from behind him. Andy looked over his shoulder at Rose. There really is a monster in Prouty. Now they had people's attention. None of them knew Andy Laxton, yet, but they all knew Rose, the dispatcher-slash-librarian. Some, who had been deep enough in the woods that Andy couldn't see them, began to work their way back. One man, his face slick with tears and sweat, ran up to them. What are you saying? What does that mean for Josh? A sobbing woman trailed behind him. Are you the boy's parents? Andy asked. Yes, we thought he might have just gotten lost in the woods. Maybe the dog, I don't know. The other kids talked about a monster, Josh's mother said wetly. What is it? Do you think, do you think Josh could have gotten away? Andy wasn't sure what to say, but his face must have said enough. Both parents sunk into themselves. The father shakily muttered, Oh God. Andy collected himself just before the parents became hysterical. I escaped from it myself, he said. It was a close call, but he hesitated. Was it cruel to give these poor people false hope? But maybe your son escaped too. How'd you do it? Rose asked. I hid in a drain pipe, Andy replied. There's a few of those around here, down at the bottom of the hill, the father said. His voice lifted, strengthened by the new possibility. We need to check all the drains. Then, loud enough for everyone to hear, he yelled, Check the drain pipes. Look inside any outlets you find. The searchers flurried, excited to have a clear objective. A hand gripped Andy's upper arm and spun him around, 
the chief had finally caught up. What have you done? He demanded. Now this whole town will panic. They don't look panicked to me, Rose spoke defiantly. In that moment, Andy decided he loved her. The St. Joseph guys are driving south to start working up toward us through the woods. This came from Jennings, who wasn't far behind the chief. One way or another, we'll find this kid. The scream echoed from the woods around 6.30 p.m. Everyone heard it. The cops, the searching locals, Rose, Andy. They all felt their blood freeze and numb their bodies when the scream came. It was a complex sound of horror, fear, and grief. The type of scream only the best in Hollywood might be able to recreate. But even then, those who have heard the real thing would recognize the farce. It was a howl. It was a cry. It was every negative emotion a human can experience, twisted together in a single vocal outpouring. When Andy reached the origin of the scream, a small crowd had already formed. Over the heads and shoulders of onlookers, he saw two men crouched beside something on the ground. Beside them, the child's mother lay, howling. A smaller group surrounded a man, who Andy originally thought had passed out against a tree. He soon realized the man was conscious, but stricken mute by some obscene terror which froze his face in a wide-eyed stare. This man was, of course, the boy's father. Excuse me, Proudy PD, let me through. Jennings pushed past Andy, and he fell in behind her, letting her split the crowd of onlookers for him. When he reached the inner ring of spectators, he was unsurprised to see the men were crouched beside a small, gray object wrapped in colorful threads. The object resembled that which nearly fell on Andy a few days before in every way, except for its size. This one was maybe half the size of that one. Maybe less. Murmurs from the crowd around him reminded Andy these people had no idea what was inside that hideous gray thing. Andy knew. And Jennings knew. There had only been a handful of hours between the child's disappearance and the scream which had drawn them all to the newest pellet. At first, this seemed impossible to Andy, but then he considered the dramatic difference in mass between an adult and a child. The kid must have been an afternoon snack for the owl. The woman unexpectedly ceased her wailing and grabbed Officer Jennings' forearm. Those are his clothes. Th th those are his clothes wrapped around that, that, that thing. Jennings placed her other hand over the devastated mother's. Andy wasn't surprised she had recognized her son's clothing unraveled and twisted around the pellet. Many of the threads were neon orange, probably from a summer camp t-shirt or perhaps Cross Tower's annual vacation Bible school program. It was a color impossible for nature to replicate, at least not in Indiana. Wait, don't do that. Jennings' voice snapped Andy's focus to the men examining the new miniature pellet. The older of the two had taken out a knife and started cutting into the pellet. Andy joined Jennings' protest, darting forward to pull the man away, but it was too late. The fresh pellet split open as soon as the blade touched its warm surface. A cloud of putrid steam poured from the bursting seam, evoking a chorus of gagging and coughing from the small crowd. One small, skeletal hand slipped through and stopped with its bone fingers touching dirt. Screams, shouts, sobs, and all manner of shocked human outbursts drowned out Andy's thoughts as he stared blankly at the grotesque display. One staccato shout suddenly cut through the rest. It came from the father, who had fallen against the tree, apparently having regained his voice just to lose it again. 
Most people turned toward him in surprise, but Andy was the first to notice the father wasn't looking at the thing which encased his son's remains. Andy pushed past the crying, gaping crowd and fell into a crouch beside the wide-eyed man. What did you see? Andy demanded. There was nothing soft or caring in his voice. This was life or death. Tell me, damn it. The onlookers gasped their disapproval, and Andy felt a hand on his shoulder trying to tug him away. He shrugged it off with a hostile glance backward. He saw it belonged to the old man who had sliced open the fresh pellet. It... something... The father tried to speak, but couldn't. Everyone quieted. Did you see the thing that left this here? Andy asked. The man's head appeared to vibrate as he nodded. Andy swore again. He turned back to look at Officer Jennings. Get everyone out of the woods. Get them out now. Half of the crowd dispersed on their own. They weren't sure what to make of the horror they had just seen, but they weren't taking any chances by sticking around. The rest waited until someone of authority told them to move, but as soon as Jennings conveyed Andy's command, they spread like insects from a bird. And that's just what they are, thought Andy. A subsonic whoop came from above the trees. Andy grabbed the shoulders of the grief and terror-stricken father and pulled him behind the tree. He whispered at Jennings to take cover too. Everyone else was on their own, including the dead child's mother, who had not moved away from her exposed position next to the pellet. Andy couldn't believe the man he was hiding with was about to lose his wife to the same beast which had taken his son only hours ago. Leaves sizzled above them. A branch suddenly croaked so loudly Andy thought it might break. Andy couldn't see the monster and dared not look out from behind the tree trunk, but he knew it was up there. He heard it sniffing the air with its hollow sucking. He also heard the mother begin to whimper, threatening to scream. Don't do it, Andy thought. He didn't know what further harm it could do to her odds of survival, but staying quiet couldn't hurt her chances either. The strained branch groaned again, this time from relief. With a short whoosh, the owl dropped down. Andy heard it land on the duff, crushing and slicing leaves under its talons. Just as the mother finally screamed, the monster howled. This was the first time Andy had heard it make any sound besides the sucking, and it deepened his fear of it. The sound was like that of a large dog barking, but only if the middle of the sound was drawn out long and constant. It sounded like something sent from the underworld, a messenger from hell itself. Pattering on the dry leaves started coming toward Andy's tree. He irrationally thought the skittering sounds were coming from the owl and almost ran. The mother appeared beside him before he did. She had crawled backwards, away from the monster, on her elbows, and was about to turn over to crawl behind the tree. Andy held his breath and closed his eyes. The owl would certainly see him and the father when it snapped up the mother. But he lied to himself, thinking if he was still and quiet enough, maybe it wouldn't notice him. But after its hellish howl ceased, the owl took no further action. Andy and the boy's parents waited in tense silence and listened. After a few seconds, the thing launched itself back into the air, departing with a powerful flap of its wings, which kicked up a whirlwind of dry leaves from the ground. Andy pushed away from the now frozen father and peeked around the tree. Not only had the monster vanished, but it had taken the small pellet with it. Perhaps there was another step to its process that they had not learned about yet. Andy looked across the clearing at Jennings. She met his eyes momentarily. He read worry and regret in them. Then she looked away. Andy shouted, 
Everyone needs to know now. Someone has to tell them. But Jennings couldn't bring herself to look at him again. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. The next best way is to buy merch from the warningwoods.myshopify.com. The link is also in the description below. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at the Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.